Welcome to Bankless, where we explore the frontier of internet money and internet finance. And today on this episode of our Zuzalu series, we are exploring some new frontiers, new frontiers in new technologies, all of which are poised to completely revolutionize the world and change everything about the operating system that society is currently running. Speaking of operating systems that are about to change that guide society, Bankless Nation, today we are exploring the frontier of crypto in Africa, perhaps the first continent that is poised to leapfrog its way into a new operating system that we call Web3, that we call crypto. What can crypto do for Africa? What can Africa do for crypto? The conversation of crypto in Africa is extremely rich and should get anyone in crypto looking for real adoption, real utility, very excited. Developing countries have the ability to leapfrog technology. For example, landlines never made it to Africa. The entire continent just skipped to cell phones. And the same thing is playing out in crypto. The banks never win to service Africans. But nonetheless, Africans are finding utility and access using bankless technologies, using Ethereum. There are two conversations here in this episode. One is about crypto adoption in Africa and why Africa is such a primed continent to accept and adopt crypto protocols. And then another about an African network state project going deep down into the reasons for why a network state in the first place and tying it to the deep cultural bonds that tie all Africans together no matter where they live in the greater globe. Both of these conversations gave me goosebumps, simply out of excitement and satisfaction of the adoption of crypto protocols in the way that they were always meant to be, to uplift individuals and coordinate communities. We're first going to hear from Yosef Ayele, who's working on building a borderless Africa using Web3, of course. He started a venture fund to invest in African Web3 development and adoption because he thinks, and also gives the arguments for, why Web3 will, be, will see its first billion users out of Africa. The needs that Africa has as a whole are things that Web3 provides, financial stability and access, of course, but also identity services and credit facilities. Yosef does a great job painting this picture of Africa's trajectory to leapfrog its way to becoming a dominant player in the Web3 landscape. After Yosef, we have Eche Emole, one of the founders of Afropolitan, a very ambitious network state project looking to build an Afrocentric digital nation. This conversation spans both crypto and network states and adds its own spin onto the Bologian idea of a network state, one with Afropolitan hubs that exist wherever the African diaspora finds itself. Both of these guests are amazingly articulate and relentlessly optimistic, two things that makes my job so fun and enjoyable as a conversation moderator. And these were probably two of my favorite episodes that I recorded at Zuzalu. So that's why I'm sure that you're going to enjoy it as well. So let's get right into this conversation of crypto in Africa. But first, a moment to talk about some of these fantastic sponsors that make the show possible. Kraken Pro has easily become the best crypto trading platform in the industry. The place I use to check the charts and the crypto prices, even when I'm not looking to place a trade. On Kraken Pro, you'll have access to advanced charting tools, real-time market data, and lightning-fast trade execution, all inside their spiffy new modular interface. Kraken's new customizable modular layout lets you tailor your trading experience to suit your needs. Pick and choose your favorite modules and place them anywhere you want in your screen. With Kraken Pro, you have that power. Whether you are a seasoned pro or just starting out, join thousands of traders who trust Kraken Pro for their crypto trading needs. Visit pro.kraken.com to get started today. You know Uniswap, it's the world's largest decentralized exchange with over $1.4 trillion in trading volume. You know this because we talk about it endlessly on Bankless. It's Uniswap, but Uniswap is becoming so much more. Uniswap Labs just released the Uniswap mobile wallet for iOS, the newest, easiest way to trade tokens on the go. With a Uniswap wallet, you can easily create or import a new wallet, buy crypto on any available exchange with your debit card with extremely low fiat on-ramp fees, and you can seamlessly swap on Mainnet, Polygon, Arbitrum, and Optimism. On the Uniswap mobile wallet, you can store and display your beautiful NFTs, and you can also explore Web3 with the in-app search features, market leaderboards, and price charts, or use Wallet Connect to connect to any Web3 application. So you can now go directly to DeFi with the Uniswap mobile wallet. Save simple custody from the most trusted team in DeFi. Download the Uniswap wallet today on iOS. There's a link in the show notes. Bankless Nation, I'm here with Yosef Ayala. Yeah? Yes. Beautiful. You got it. Uh, and we're going to talk about crypto in Africa and why there's such a large opportunity for the Web3 industry, the crypto industry in Africa. Yosef, welcome to Bankless. Thanks so much for having me. First off, uh, how has your Zuzalo experience been? Uh, it's been amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing humans, great connections. I thought I came here to do work, yeah. but then spent a lot of time just building really good relationships and having a good time. What did you come to Zuzalu to do? 
uh, to meet folks who are interested in the African continent. I mm -hmm. uh, came here for EdCon as well. Right. So I give a talk there, share my thesis on the continent, and also to be part of some of the uh, network state discussions and really understand where people are thinking about. You said the word thesis, which means I'm interested. You have a, a thesis on a continent. Yes. Uh, what, what does it mean to have a thesis on a continent? Just a framework and a way for the rest of the world to connect with the African continent. Mm -hmm. I feel like there's a lot of crypto activities happening in the African uh, ecosystems, but most of the Ethereum community, as well as just the broader crypto communities, just don't understand uh, what's happening there. Many people haven't traveled there. Mm -hmm. A lot of African builders don't get to come to places like this. So. Mm -hmm. um, being a bridge and helping provide a framework. Yeah, there, there's, I'm assuming, just a very large divide between Africa, crypto, and the rest of the crypto industry. Yes. Um, I think there, there's also a very large divide between East and West in crypto. Yes. Uh, but even that, that divide commingles a lot. Yes. Like the, the, the Chinese, uh, which is part of crypto, which is very large, yeah. does mingle a lot. I mean, there's been a large Chinese cohort of people here as Uzalu. I w would you say like the African side of crypto is even more cut off between East Way and West? Way more cut off. Way more cut Way off. Way more cut off because the biggest like barrier for a lot of African builders is that it's hard for them to travel mm. to uh, where global crypto communities are and where main events are. So like the number one issue is just visas. Mm. The West and many Eastern countries just don't give Africans visas. I was organizing a whole side event around Africa at DEFCON in Colombia. And basically everyone who was supposed to come participate in it couldn't make it because they couldn't get a visa to Colombia or couldn't get a visa to transit through the U.S. So that's just one of the biggest barriers that creates the physical divide. Yeah, so the, the cross-pollination of yeah. just the, it just doesn't happen. Exactly. Okay. So uh, I think there's going to be two parts of this conversation. It's, it's what can crypto do for Africa? And then maybe we'll talk about what Africa can do for crypto. Yes. And we'll talk about the cross-pollination here. Awesome. Uh, but let's start with that. Let's start with uh, why does Africa need crypto so much? Like why is Africa primed to be a crypto continent? Because centralized entities have failed us. That's the main point. Like um, a lot of like, centralized governments, centralized banks, institutions are either not effective or non-existent. Mm -hmm. So that's where I think uh, decentralization makes the most sense, is it acts as the layer of trust on which so many economic, social, political, uh, and financial institutions can be built on. Yeah. And when you go to places where there's, you know, some areas are way more developed, but a whole lot of areas are just so uh, not developed so far, uh, I think the core infrastructures of crypto from money and payments and uh, trust and coordination, all those things make so much more sense there. Would you say that uh, another way of saying that is uh, institutions have yes. not just provided structure in yes. Africa? And that's what you mean by like centralization. There's, there's exactly. just not trusted, centralized places of organization yes. that has provided like social scaffolding for the African continent. Let me give you just a few examples. Sure. So uh, there are 14 African countries that were colonized by France. When the French were kind of leaving in the 1960s, they instituted this currency called the CFA. It stands for colonies of Africa, French colonies of Africa. And that's spec to, you will spec to the franc uh, and now spec to the euro. What that means is 50% of all the income those countries get goes to the French treasury directly. So you don't own your money. It goes to the French treasury. Is, uh, it, is it fair to say that that was a tool of colon? of like maintaining colonization so. exactly yeah even um, though so like france like yeah. wanted to get out of the continent yeah. physically but they were like we'll leave our currency and maintain yes maintain value extraction that way correct and also uh they don't like the the french government created some boundaries of your interest rates and how much money you can print and all of that so those governments you can say that they don't control their own currency mm. their own monetary policy so here in the western world we talk about sovereignty from yeah. governments in those countries, the governments don't have sovereignty over their own states mm -hmm. and their own monetary policies. So uh, that's one use case where, you know, for example, the Central African Republic uh, recently made Bitcoin a legal tender. Mm -hmm. That's not because they're Bitcoin maxis or whatever. It's just it's out of desperation. They have no control over their own monetary policy. Right. Therefore, it's easier to say, hey, why don't we just jump into a whole new monetary policy that's inherently global? Right. So the idea is like, OK, if we're going to use somebody else's money, perhaps we should use one that is based on the Internet and not benefiting some particular power elsewhere. Yeah. And yeah. let's just use the, the one that's found on the Internet. Well, you will, you will use Bitcoin 
Bitcoin because its monetary policy is going to be better yeah. than the French monetary policy. Exactly. And so, like, it's it's maybe they they still don't uh, the African countries don't have control over the monetary policy, but at least it's not the French. It's Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is has all the properties of Bitcoin yes. that we in, in and enjoy. Now, that's not to say that that's the ultimate goal and answer. Mm -hmm. I think some level of sovereignty is amazing, right? Sure. Uh, but it's kind of an example of where some of those countries, it's just 14 countries right. out of 54, uh, are basically struggling to get sovereignty over themselves. Mm -hmm. Another sort of macro example is that there are 54 African countries. Only 40 countries print their own money in their own countries. Mm. So they're outsourced that to European printing press, and they pay 6% of the total money supply as printing fees and transportation costs. So just imagine a ship. Who charges that? Uh, there are three uh, companies in Europe, in France, in the UK, and Germany that basically act as the printing press for the fiat. They charge a service for, act for access to the printing press? Of course. So they get inflation and they get to charge fees? Yes. <laughs> I can see why uh, there's demand for something else. Yeah. Uh -huh. And even at, at a very practical, very, those are like examples at a macro level, just at a human level. Like right. uh, the internet has been a big game changer for many people. When I was growing up in Ethiopia, um, the internet opened the world to me. I learned mm -hmm. most of my English online. It, it you know, opened up a lot of access to information and connectivity, which is amazing. But the internet is still very gated. Mm. to Africans. That was gated, that was many years ago, and still get it, because if you don't have a means to transact and pay and receive money, uh. then you cannot access the best of the internet. Uh. If you cannot set up a PayPal account and use that to receive money for the work that you do, then how can you say you're actually accessing the best of the internet? So even remote workers in many African countries are using crypto as a means to get paid for the work that they do. Mm. So, so what you're saying is that the, the internet is a massively democratizing force that yes. has benefited the world as a whole, including Africa. But then there's this more uh, that as the internet matured, it, it evolved and adapted and became what you're calling permissioned, as in like parts of the internet are paywalled yes. by uh, whatever you would do, like subscribe, you subscribe to Bankist, yes. use a, a credit card. We yes. do accept crypto, but also you can also subscribe to anything that you would subscribe, pay for on Amazon or pay for any sort of credit card. Yes. You're saying that that was not available to most of Africa because most of Africans can't, they're not connected on the payment yes. rails. And today is still the case. Right. So you might even have the level of connectivity, but for example, in Nigeria, banks have a limit of $20 a month that you can spend internationally with your bank card. So even though you have the connectivity, the lack of foreign currency mm. creates these really low ceilings for people to actually participate mm -hmm. online and in the digital world. So as much as, as great as the internet is, it simply just means less yes. for Africa. And that's because, again, it goes back to centralized institutions. Right. Even in tech, you know, centralized technology institutions are still gated. And some of it is just structural, right? So how those countries' economies are structured or the relationship between that economy and global economies. Mm. Um, we pay 5 to $10 billion a year on SWIFT fees alone. Right. That's, that's a massive cost. Mm -hmm. If I'm trying to send you money from one country to the next country, the money goes through Europe, the US, blah, blah, mm -hmm. takes, makes a big uh, 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 route around the world and comes next door. And then I pay like around 10% of what I'm sending you in just fees. Routing to, fees? To, routing fees to get it all around. So that's so inefficient. It, it, it's huh. blocking any type of development and progress when you're basically relying right. on global institutions that are not designed for your needs. Interesting. So a, a bank transfer in Africa that goes to a different African country routes through like Europe banking rails. Yes. And a bunch of middlemen up there yes. charge a bunch of fees and then down to a different African country yes. that's very, very proximate yes. to the originator. But it just goes through yes. Europe first. And most transactions are low in numbers. So the percentage high, high in goes volume, high in, low in, low in numbers. High in volumes, high in, low in numbers. So the percentage that you pay for the transaction cost. It's a flat fee. Yeah. It's so high as a result of it. Huh. Okay, so th these are all money and fee and banking system yes. use cases, yes. which makes total sense to me. Does it, does it end there? No. Or, or where, no, no, where does no. this go next? So Africa has 1.4 billion people. 500 million don't even have any form of ID. Okay. So that's, that's a big right. friction point right. to participate in anything in the world. So that trust, identity, reputation, those are really critical areas where... Mm -hmm. 
I believe uh, blockchain technologies can have a real impact. And that's actually when I talk to different African governments, those are areas they're really interested in. Mm -hmm. How do we create shared consensus-based truth? What is true? Who owns this land? Mm -hmm. Who owns that land? Knowing, like, uh, having a verifiable form of property rights, that's one of the biggest areas where you go to con truth is consensus based, mm -hmm. then we're always in negotiation right. of what truth is. That right. creates a lot of friction right. to actually build you know, really sophisticated economies on top of those. I would imagine some of these problems are symbiotic with each other. It's weird, yeah. to, it's weird to call problems symbiotic, but like in the negative direction, yeah. as in like perhaps it's harder to produce a financial system and banking rails in Africa because there's no identity. Yes. And then also there's it's harder to produce identity when like yes. such a core part of identity is like your bank account yes. and your nation state ID. Yes. And you're saying like there's neither in, in Africa. Well, I wouldn't say there's z nothing exists. There's, right, there's, there's less. It's just there's a lot less of it. It's right. not sophisticated. It's not fully developed, right? So, for example, when you look at payments, some African countries have way more advanced payment systems than the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, you go to Kenya, for example, we have M-Pesa there, mm -hmm. which is a mobile money uh, company. It works so well everywhere, including remote villages. Does it need internet? When you have internet, it can get sophisticated. Basically, your phone number is your bank account. Uh -huh. It's your means of paying salaries or receiving income. It's your KYC. Mm -hmm. it, it works so well you know, in that country. It's heavily centralized, but it's mm -hmm. functional. But when you're trying to do business cross borders, then that's where it becomes challenging. When you're trying to get any form of credit, then that's where you reach a ceiling. Um, because those layers of trust and reputation mm, and, mm -hmm. um, and even credit scoring are not as effective sure. and not as efficient. So uh, you see some things that are way more developed, but a whole lot of things that are not as developed. Right. Okay, so I have so, I have so many more questions, but, sure. but uh, I first want to make sure that does it end there? Or so we have banking and money. Yep. We have identity. Yep. Uh, are there other use cases that, that we need to talk about? About yes. like what's okay? Oh yes. boy, it keeps on going. Yeah. No. I mean, this this so the other area is actually the art creative spaces. Mm. So there's a, like African art and African culture is all over the world. Mm. You see it in music. You see it in art. You see it in food. You know, the world is consuming mm -hmm. African creatives. Mm -hmm. uh, but very little value is captured by the people who are creating that, mm -hmm. right? So I'm seeing so many artists getting into the NFT world um, mm -hmm. and even experimenting with that medium that mm -hmm. wouldn't be possible in traditional art of just painting something, hmm. you know? So uh, that's, one, that's one movement that's happening. Okay, so I, th I think the, the picture that you're painting is that there are, there are no good monies. There are, there are few good monies in Africa. Yes. And the crypto monies that we've invented, as troublesome and chaotic as they are, yeah. still present very valid options for, for Africans. Yes. Uh, not only that, but stable coins, I'm sure, are very, very relevant. They're it, massive. Right. It's easier to access stable coins in so many countries than accessing fiat dollars, huh. especially right. US dollar stable coins. Sure. To give you an example where I come from, Ethiopia. Uh, there's the bank rate and then there's unofficial rate. Of course, yeah. There's a hundred percent. There's a hundred percent premium. Hundred percent premium it's on twice. the bank rate. Twice. Huh. So call it the corruption rate, <laughs> or the free market rate. Right. That's yeah. that's what I call it. So uh -huh. there's the controlled bank rate. Right. And that's because um, and, and there's a lot more money being transacted outside of the bank rate than right. you know outside of it than than right. within the system. Right. Right. That's because. Um, you know, there's so many layers, it's hard to kind of go through mm -hmm. every aspect of it, uh -huh. but it's systemic. Sure. And I don't know if there's a pathway for the governments to find a way out of that. Right. Right. So uh, basically, people are transacting mm -hmm. outside of that system. Mm -hmm. If I'm running a small shop and I need to buy inventory, let's say I'm selling shirts and I need to import a whole lot of shirts from India. How do I pay the thousand dollars to actually order that? Mm -hmm. um, this is hard to go through the you know the existing right, process. Right, right. Yeah, I might try to use MoneyGram or Western Union, right. but I'm going to pay ridiculous fees, mm -hmm. long processes, and all of that. I might as well just buy US dollar stable coins, send mm -hmm. it to person over there, instant settlement, and then I get my items shipped over to me. Mm -hmm. That's how a lot of people are using it. Right. Okay. So the the money conversation is is a double whammy because it's yeah. not it's not not just a better money or stronger money alternatives. It's also the lower fees. Yes. Right. And so like that that makes it a very competitive banking system. And access. And access. Yeah. Yes. Global right. access. Yeah. yeah. Global per permissionless access. Right? Permissionless access. Yeah. Yes. Um, and then and then there's I'm sure 
as soon as you have like established bank account on Ethereum with your wallet yeah. and your money, then like you can start engaging in a more sophisticated financial tools that we call DeFi. Yes, I'm sure that is a, a much more powerful set of financial tools than what the Africans can yes. discover locally. Yes, and that's just the money and finance thing. Yes, that is like that's where so much demand for Web three utility products and services yes. comes from, and then also identity on top of that and as trust. well. Yes, interest. The the broad area of trust. Trust. So basically, yes. wherever mm. you need trust, mm. here there's so many things that we take for granted, right? Like mm -hmm. um, you uh, get into a hotel room, or you buy a piece of land, or you order something online. Mm -hmm. You know something is going to be delivered. You right. kind of like assume that's already going to happen, yeah. right? Uh -huh. In a place where there's not a lot of trust infrastructures, mm. you're always asking. Is, is what the person right. said actually going to come true? Right. If I have this thing, is it actually mine? Right. <laughs> right? So all the different things of trust that you kind of take for granted, um, they're either non-existent or are very weak mm -hmm. in many African countries. Yeah. If any bankless listeners just had the term settlement assurances come into their head, points for you. Uh, settlement assurance is like core part of like what we believe is makes crypto so powerful. Uh -huh. Is the thing that you think is yours actually yours? Yes. That's like the beautiful thing about crypto is extremely high settlement assurances. Yes. Uh, and so it sounds like not just like money and settlement assurances are is benefit for Africa, but just like identity as like this is also your identity too. Yes. And other people, not just yourself, but other people can also rely on that, yes. which is important infrastructure. Yes. Um, I, I want to ask about just like the culture of users who use these tools in the, the United States in, in the privileged land where we have like general abundance like we have the crypto is like a casino for us yeah uh it's like absolutely sadly uh i mean it, it is one of these things that makes these things powerful and, yeah. and you proves all the use case but it's that we have the luxury of using this as a casino and i'm wondering what what is the the culture or the disposition of uh african users who use crypto not as a casino but because they actually really need it and it is legitimately a better tool like how, how would you describe just like the how people engage with these things yeah. down there so uh sad reality is the casino still exists oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> it's everywhere it's like you see a lot of that in africa as well uh -huh. okay now we're in a bear market mm -hmm. which is actually good because there's not a ton of like blind Okay. Uh, speculation that's happening. But the other side, the real use cases, one is US dollar stable coins. Mm -hmm. So that's something that a lot of people use for cross-border payments, okay. for uh, inflation and um, currency devaluation hedging. Right. Um, I would assume inflation across Africa is terrible. It's very high, yeah. yeah. Uh -huh. um, and the other side is also, uh, I'm hearing of fintechs, mm. traditional fintech startups uh, who are actually becoming the key banking infrastructures on the continent. So you're finding startups providing better financial services than banks do, mm. but that's a separate conversation. Um, they're using crypto at the back end. They won't admit it, but they're using crypto at the back end. Why won't they admit it? Because uh, it creates a lot of uh, crypto. issues. Crypto, yeah, yeah exactly. Right, yeah. Like You don't want a lot of attention. Right. Uh -huh. But when I talk to a number of exchanges, they're telling me that the biggest clients are fintechs, not mm. retail users, which is fascinating. Huh. So they're using it for the treasury right. management. Again, if you cannot access US dollars and the currency that you're holding is being devalued over time, you want to put it in other asset classes. Mm. And crypto stable coins make a lot of sense as a treasury management. Mm. It's just a smart thing to do. Sure. And it's more available to you in a permissionless way right. than knocking on the doors of a bank. Yeah. Uh, the one thing that makes me just so happy and optimistic about this story is that individual Africans are choosing to use crypto tools by their own merits and exactly. adopting them and you know, go, becoming yeah. bankless, getting all their, their, their bank accounts. But I actually think that that part of the story is also very like, cool and optimistic too. Fintechs adopting crypto for the same reasons because yes. it also provides them as businesses better foundations yes. to provide financial services. So even if the individual African is not adopting crypto tools, yeah. the fintech layer of Africa is also improving because of crypto exactly. to do the rest, mi the, the rest of the mile. Exactly. Exactly. And I expect to see a lot more of that. Mm. Another area that I'm seeing some action in and I'm super excited about is the credit space. Mm -hmm. Now, for you and I and many people here, you know, if you've got salary or whatever, it's easy for you to access some level of credit. Mm -hmm. Even if you have crypto, you can borrow money from Aave or Compound or whatever, mm -hmm. right? Um, but if you're just like, you know, a small business, um, and most of African companies are small businesses, um, and you don't have a real asset that you can use as collateral, banks won't lend to you. Mm -hmm. Banks, so here's a sad reality. Banks lend to bankers. Right. 
because it's bankers that have stable jobs that uh -huh. bankers think is right. solid, right. which is kind of weird and twisted, right? Yeah. So if, you're, if you don't have something that's valuable that you can collateralize, then you go to uncollateralized borrowing. Right. Do you know how much money you pay? What's, what, have um, a guess. Have a guess of what, how much interest are on average. A uh, year, on a year? Yeah. M higher than 20%. Keep going. 40%? Okay, so uh, uh, in Kenya and uh, uh, Nigeria, for uh -huh. example, a bunch of fintechs, they are charging 10 to 30% a month. A month? A month. Oh, my numbers were in a year. No. 10 to 30% a, a month. month. Because the risk the, is so high. The, well, yes. Uh, or perceived I, risk? Perceived risk. Mm, uh, not actual as risk. Well, the, some actual risk, some perceived risk. Sure. So some fintechs that I've talked to where the default rate is less than 10%, uh -huh. they're still oh. charging super high. Because that's the current going market rate. Is it just a... Why, why is that the going market rate? Is it just a very inefficient market with no liquidity? So like Liquidity is a big part of it. Uh -huh. But the main issue is also just how to price risk. Oh, yeah. Right? Okay. How to price risk. Mm. And also, as a borrower, I can borrow X amount of money from you. And then if I cannot pay it, then I go to someone else, mm. borrow that money, and then pay you back. You get into these cycles. Uh, so one, one person so, can cause 100 people's worth of destruction. Exactly. Uh. Uh, so... One interesting area of application uh -huh. that I'm seeing is there's some fintechs that are getting access of user data uh, from mobile money, for example, which mm -hmm. huge mass adoption there, and putting that on-chain mm. and helping you build on-chain credit, yeah. credit reporting, which uh -huh. helps you access on-chain liquidity. Uh -huh. So it's, it's actually onboarding a whole lot of people into crypto without them even realizing it mm. and helping you build on-chain reputation and track hmm. record, which now multiple fintechs can use as a single source of truth, mm. as opposed to each one kind of determining, you know, what your credit worthiness. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, hundred percent. And when I was previously talking about, oh yeah, so you you have your Ethereum wallet or your Bitcoin wallet, and you're using stable coins, and that's all great because you get better money and cheaper fees. Uh, and then I was talking about DeFi. It's like, oh, yeah. and also, like, DeFi is better. Like, they can use Uniswap to swap tokens. Maybe they are. Uh, yeah. But I think maybe the bigger story is this credit. Access yes. to credit is the bigger yes. part of the finance for World for Africa. Let me put it in this way. Uh -huh. um, you talked about casinos earlier, right? Right. My view is that in the Western and many Eastern worlds, crypto is a nice to have. Mm. Let's, for the masses, it's just a nice to have. Right. Because you already have so many right. things working mm -hmm. for you. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's where we hit Banks the are a nuisance, not a critical problem. Exactly. Yeah. They're, they exist. Yeah. They provide services. Governments provide services, even right. though we don't like them. Right. So for, for the like 10% or 15% of us, crypto is so much more valuable, it's important, but it's hard to go above that mm -hmm. unless you start adding real utility that is way better than the current system, mm -hmm. right? And the friction is low. And that's what we keep talking about in this world. Mm -hmm. um, when you go to many African countries, the, the existing apparatus, the, the current paradigm is just not working, mm -hmm. right? So that's where you can reach beyond the five, 10, 15% of adoption rates of a whole population. Mm -hmm. You can go a lot higher than that right. when you start building applications that actually meet people's needs. Mm -hmm. um, so that, I think that's where the real opportunities to me is in Africa, crypto can be a plan A, not a plan right. B, plan C, or right. plan F. Not a backstop, it's exactly. the first choice. It's not a backup plan, right. it is the plan. Yeah, well, the, so this thesis resonates, obviously, and I think anyone who's been in crypto long enough understands that like this is why we do this, like this is why we're here. The opportunity is salient. Yes. Um, so if the opportunity is so good, uh, what's the, the venture landscape? What's the, the business landscape look like? I would imagine this would be interesting for more than a few VCs out there. Yeah. What's that like? So um, in February, I led a trip with Vitalik and Aya for a month across four countries. Aya Mayaguchi of the EF. Aya Mayaguchi, who runs the EF and a number of other mm -hmm. uh, Ethereum communities. And we just held very low-key events, mm -hmm. um, didn't make a big splash. Mm -hmm. um, and we had about you know a few hundred founders and builders came, mm -hmm. came up to various of those events. Is uh, Vitalik known, as well known in Africa as he is in Argentina? Uh, I don't know about how well he's known in Argentina. Very well but, known. Very but we, well we, known. Went, we went to cafes and restaurants <laughs> where uh, you know, people were trying to pay for our meals or come <laughs> by and say hi, you know, like, you know, it, it was it was it was amazing. But uh -huh. also, I think uh, people are quite respectful. 
Sure. You know, so he wasn't getting overloaded, right, but right. people recognized him, and that was a really interesting litmus test. <laughs> uh, so yeah, he, you know, he was well known, uh, and yeah, we we met a whole lot of builders mm -hmm. who were uh, basically at the stage of building the core infrastructures. Mm -hmm. I think that's still very much needed. So on ramps and off ramps, mm -hmm. exchanges, uh, credit tools, mm -hmm. lending pools. Um, uh, means for people to basically uh, create advances on their salaries. Mm -hmm. But uh, we met a whole lot of people trying to build new stable coins, either real-world asset-backed stable coins or a basket of currencies, because that's where the energy is at. That's where the demand is at. Mm. Um, and there's so many other builders who we met around you know, solving problems that you wouldn't think of uh, coming from the West. So, for example, like in Ethiopia, getting medicine that's high quality and known is really hard. Mm -hmm. And uh, the one common thing that we have is, you know, if I'm visiting Ethiopia, I can tell you all my relatives are asking me, mm -hmm. hey, Yosef, can you buy ABCD, put it in your bag and bring it right, along right, here? Right. Yeah, yeah. It's so common and uh -huh. like every Ethiopian listening will totally get this. Right. Yes. It's, it's yeah. just something uh -huh. we all do. Right. So there's, there's a team that's actually building an application to like make that process a lot simpler. Mm. Like, hey, if I've got a kilo, two kilos in my bag, I can get stuff that people mm -hmm. need. But then how do I trust right. me? How do I trust what right. I'm buying is correct? So they're putting aspects of that on chain hmm. to create a level of transparency. So these types of applications, like you wouldn't think about it mm -hmm. coming in the Western world, mm -hmm. um, but African builders are working on those. So mm -hmm. you see some like really original thoughts and approaches, uh, but the market is still early. So um, crypto adoption, in my view, like really started in 2018, 2019. So we're, we're just seeing one cycle mm -hmm. on the continent. So uh, it's still quite early. But, you know, the, last year there was about 150 plus million dollars invested in crypto companies, mm -hmm. five billion dollars in just general tech startups. So still a long way to go in terms of the venture space being developed. Sure. Uh, so I'm kind of afraid about how naive this question is, but you said like adoption happens and it started happening in 2018. Well, I would say like even inside of America or Europe, the adoption didn't happen until then too. Yeah. Um, and even throughout the bear market, we were still like looking for our use case. Yes. Uh, so, you know, we were talking about, oh yeah, payments, we know that, but like we want more. Um, but it really sounds like perhaps Africa is actually the continent that has adopted crypto the most. Is that I, true? I, it is. It is already. It's already um, number one in crypto users. Uh, so Kenya and Nigeria make the top twenty crypto adoption index. Okay. Last year we had about a hundred billion dollars of on-chain transaction mm -hmm. um, of volume. Uh, it's small compared to the rest of the world, right. but it's significant for right. the local economies. Um, you know, many countries is between five to fifteen percent of those populations. Mm -hmm. But if you see in in actual numbers, Africa is one point four billion people. Mm -hmm. To put that into context, it's right. all of Europe, all of the United States, and all of South America combined. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge market, huge continent. Nigeria is just 250 million people. Right. Ethiopia is 120 million people. Right. So it's we're talking about large populations. So in right. sheer numbers, it is high. The volume per user, it's low. Mm -hmm. What's the average age of Africa? Median age is 19. It's very young. Median age is <laughs> very 19. It's extremely young. Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. So it's, it's the youngest part of the world what about like internet connectivity and access access like how yeah. hard is it to access crypto yeah so about 590 million africans have access to the internet uh -huh. and that's growing six percent a year okay so in urban areas six percent a year six percent it's increasing by six that has percent to be the year. highest rate in the world right yeah. yeah yeah it's very high i don't i don't know i haven't benchmarked yeah. the rest of the world but that's really high right um and in urban areas where 40 percent of the population lives mm -hmm. internet access is very high right so one of the things i spent the last two years doing mm -hmm. is actually talking to normal people mm. students crazy recent graduates <laughs> universities well that's where a lot of the people are right, at right? Right, right just to understand what's the dream what's their vision for their lives what mm -hmm. are the things that they're learning about many young people are learning online more than what they're learning in universities and in schools. Mm -hmm. Two-thirds of all African developers are self-taught or learning on the job. Mm. So the internet is really opening up access to education and information. Mm -hmm. And you know, I've, I've talked to a number of folks who you know, graduated in, archi in uh, architecture, for example, and thinking, well, what kind of career can I build in architecture in my country here, unless I have an ability to go elsewhere, and then discover crypto? I said, this is so interesting. How about I teach myself Solidity? Mm -hmm. People teaching themselves Solidity on YouTube, mm -hmm. on their mobile phones. Right. And then start working with DAOs and then earn your first few hundred dollars uh -huh. and you buy a laptop. Right. And then you start contributing more to DAOs 
and you do it anonymously, no one cares. Right. No one needs to know where you, who you are, where you're right. from. Um, and people are making real income, real living as a full-time job without meeting a single person in real life who's working in the space. Hmm. And that's really fascinating, like right. how people are getting to this space on their own. Yes, there are a whole lot of people getting in to speculate, to buy shit tokens and all of that. Mm -hmm. But there are a whole lot of serious people getting to the space and seeing it as a real source of income mm -hmm. and a, a real source of really maximizing the full potential as human beings right. without needing to leave home. There's always this idea of um, uh, leapfrogging technologies. Yes. Uh, I think this is typically used when uh, Africa never really uh, went desktop. It went just mobile first. Yes. And so it leapfrogged into that technology. Yes. Um, I'm sure there's other examples that are low-hanging fruit that I'm going to forget in, this, in yeah. this moment. We've had multiple leapfrogs on the right. continent. We leapfrogged landlines. Right. With yes. Mobile. Landlines. Yeah. And yeah. it's so fast, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I think the last data points that I checked, 93 out of every 100 user mm -hmm. has uh, set up a SIM card account. Mm. Mm -hmm. on the continent so that's like right that's that's huge sure. right we leapfrog banks with right. mobile money right and now we're leapfrogging the centralized institutions <laughs> right. with crypto and so it seems like and that, that's i think the the, the punchline uh, in the combination of like leapfrogging education tech with ai sorry to bring ai into the yeah. conversation but just like i'm sure ai is a powerful democratizing force totally. of education totally it's happening at the same time that we are able to africa is able to leapfrog into better money and better financial services with crypto yes and that part like leapfrogging technology is always an exciting conversation in and of itself but when you leapfrog money is big because money is so deeply rooted in, this, yes. in the bottom of a social cultural stack. Yes. It is very important, critical social infrastructure. Yes. And so when you leapfrog uh, investments in money, the downstream net effects of that can only be massive. bullish. We yeah. have to absolutely massive. So massive. Yeah. Because a whole economy is built on that. Mm -hmm. If you don't have that, it's hard to build everything else. Everything else. Right. right? Trust is at Tr the bottom. Exactly. You're leapfrogging trust. Yeah. Yeah, leapfrogging centralized institutions. Uh -huh. And my, my view is that if we keep with the status quo, mm -hmm. Africa's position at the bottom of the pyramid is pretty much locked in for mm -hmm. at least the next 100 years. Right. Because right. it's, 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 there's a downward pressure mm -hmm. to kind of keep you at that bottom of the pyramid. Right. And when you talk to a whole lot of young people, there are 900 million Africans who are under the age of 30. Mm-hmm. Men here a million. Mm -hmm. They have dreams. They have desires. They want right. to have a, a much of this world as mm -hmm. much as everyone else. Right. Right. And so the best outlet is online. Mm -hmm. But then online is gated mm -hmm. if you don't have a means to pay and receive money. Right. right. You, you need that to power that. Right. And so crypto is like, great. This makes a lot more sense. Right. So this is not, um, to me, the Africa narrative here, an opportunity is not just like, hey, let me put 5% of my assets into some high-growth, high-risk right. space and see what happens. Like, no, I want to have access to the world. Mm -hmm. And this is giving me that. Mm, access to the world. That's very, that's beautiful. Um, also, the, 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 another opportunity really is, is that the incumbent continents like uh, America and China, um, like America is going to go down fighting. Like the banking system is going to go down yeah. fighting. Like they're, they're trying to ban crypto before really allowing it to be adopted. Yeah. And then like most of the population doesn't care. Yes. It's like crypto is that weird thing with like the Wall Street bets folk. Yes. And so they're not going to adopt it simply because they're, it, they don't need it. Mm -hmm. And then the incumbent systems are going to fight it. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, Africa is going to adopt it simply out of necessity yes. and learn to use it and learn to refine it and grow it yes. naturally and organically. Yes. That makes me bullish. Yes. Because it's it's accepting crypto. There's all like continents and populations and cultures have to get over the accepting crypto hurdle. Yes. And it sounds like Africa's like that hurdle for Africa is like very, very low to the ground. Like exactly. it's not hard to accept crypto in Africa. It, this this makes a lot more sense. Mm -hmm. And to me it's not like um, you know, shops and everything accepting crypto mm -hmm. necessarily. That's not the indication of success right. to me. Uh -huh. It's not like onboarding everyone to the crypto economy. The way we think about it here is like, I don't want to have a bank. I don't have a fiat. I don't want to hold any local payment systems. I think what I'm observing is actually people move fiat to crypto and then crypto to fiat mm -hmm. to do things that right. fiat to fiat doesn't allow them to do. Right. And that's a lot of things, right? Mm -hmm. So to me, it's not like, just make everything Ethereum. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, that, and that makes sense. It's actually make your whole economy powered by Ethereum. Right. Right. That, I think that's, that's the bigger opportunity to right. me. It's not right. like what we talk about in just in our own mm -hmm. crypto circles of like how the world can be more like live 
mm-hmm. on decentralized blockchains right. is actually make decentralized blockchains the back end right. that the powers whole the whole economy. Right. I remember this one line from uh, Andreas Antonopoulos. He called it, um, I think it's like technology inversion, mm-hmm. uh, something inversion. And he was using the idea of once upon a time, yeah. we squeezed the internet through dial-up. Yes. And that's how we use the internet. And then we made broadband. And then that was, instead of having to put the internet through telephone lines, uh-huh. we just made, we made wires specifically for the internet. Yeah. And, then, and then the internet exploded yeah. because it didn't have to get throttled through dial-up. And when you tell me, like, like, in the beginning stages, it goes from fiat to crypto to fiat to do things that fiat only can't do. To me, that's like, we're trying to squeeze through crypto through the fiat yeah. bandwidth, yeah. And, which is great. It's where you get started. You got to start somewhere. But then also merely doing that also sets the stage for the inversion where we just do away with the fiat and we're like, okay, just just crypto. Yeah. Crypto only. Yeah. And Africa sounds like it's first down that down that path. Yeah. And it's happening at scale mm-hmm. in a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. And you talked about governments earlier. African governments are still wary and mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. sure about this space. There are some that have outright banded. Mm-hmm. So when I talk about Africa, well, Africa is 54 countries, mm-hmm. right? So it's very different dynamics. Right. I actually love to talk about Africans, mm-hmm. the people. Mm-hmm. It's like, this is people power. Right. It's not institution power. Mm-hmm. And it's the people who have the needs, who have the demands. And I'm betting more on the African people mm-hmm. building the infrastructures for an economy that works for them mm-hmm. instead of waiting for a permissioned way right. to create this. So crypto is thriving despite governments, mm-hmm. not as a result of mm-hmm. governments. Yeah, and, and to my loose and uninformed take about like Africa, sure. is that's just like the borders... Um, the countries of Africa mean less than the culture and communities of Africa, as in just like uh, the, the the boundaries of Africa was drawn by uh, like Europeans, and they were drew, some, drew, some of, of them, them. Yeah, yeah, in like the 1880s Berlin Conference, right? And so I think Africa, of all continents that are out there, is most most primed to become borderless using borderless tools like yes. Ethereum, like crypto. Yes, I I have a this vision that. You know, borderless Africa is what many young people are striving mm-hmm. towards, but not necessarily like, hey, let's let's bring down the borders that right. we kind of see uh-huh. and know of. It's just the borders, like where Unified. borders create exactly yeah. where borders create a lot of the barriers, right. because uh, the way IMF relates to right. Africa, the way the World Bank relates to mm-hmm. Africa, the way the global powers relate to Africa is bordered nation right. by border nation, uh-huh. right? And so whenever you try to break free of that, mm-hmm. you come across a brick right. wall right. that you can't pass through. Right. So the shared experience of being separated from the world, separated from each other, that's, that's, in, that's, that's the borders. Right. There's a physical border, there's an economic border, right. there's a psychological border, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what uh, I see many African builders thinking is like I am African first right. and a citizen of that country second sure. yeah, is yeah. because there's a shared experience and mm-hmm. there's a shared challenge there mm-hmm. uh, and, and I believe like you know kind of inspired by you guys bankless mm-hmm. right like, I think a borderless Africa makes a lot of sense right yeah no well that, that we also see that yeah. we also see that um, uh, Yosef you're, you're starting a venture fund uh, I am tell us about uh, multiple, the, the strategy multiple things. so uh, my vision is basically increasing crypto adoption on the mm-hmm. continent in real world use cases mm-hmm. and helping us build a borderless life for a whole lot of Africans. And I see that in multiple approaches. One is actually uh, creating soil. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the notion of infinite garden, mm-hmm. right? So you need to build rich soil mm-hmm. on the continent uh, to help whole ecosystems to thrive, right? And that is around education, community building, awareness building, and that's all to me public public goods. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one stuff I'm really focused on is supporting a lot of communities on the ground, supporting events. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully, you know, you and friends can come mm-hmm. spend time there, uh, connect with local communities. So there are a few events that are happening there. There's It's Safari. Mm-hmm. It's a local Ethereum community happening mm-hmm. in Kenya in September. So there's a lot of those beautiful things that are happening that I believe is public goods. And we need to put resources and support that. On the other side, when you have uh, fertile soil, right. you need forests. Right. And those are the projects, the protocols, mm-hmm. the applications that are actually bringing these visions to life. Mm-hmm. And to me, I think capital is a means to support and enable that to happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm building a venture fund to basically back African founders who mm-hmm. have deep local context and mm-hmm. understanding mm-hmm. and are building from the bottom up mm-hmm. and are long-term thinkers. Um, and I didn't wake up thinking, hey, 
I'm going to be a VC, mm-hmm. but that's the highest leverage way to actually support right. this work. Right. Funnel capital into the places that it needs to go. Be- being a good capital allocator is one of the best things you can do to uh, grow a burgeoning like, ecosystem yeah. inside of a, 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 an economy yeah. that needs it. Why are you the right person to do this job? What, what's your advantage? Why are you going to be a great capital allocator for Africa? Like, what skills do you bring to the table? So I have uh, spent still the majority of my life on the continent, mm-hmm. and I have felt the pain mm. that many young Africans feel. And I have deep, like in my blood, relationship mm-hmm. with the struggle, right? right? And I feel like I've been extremely lucky in my life uh, to have leapfrogged so many parts of society mm-hmm. and you know spent a, a lot of time in the US and the West and in the East. Um, and I've seen that side of the world as well and I've built a lot of relationships. And I see my role as a bridge builder mm-hmm. between that world and African ecosystems where there's mutual value uh, and relationship building. So that's mm-hmm. one lens that I have. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other lens is I've spent the last eight, 10 years building stuff. Mm-hmm. So I come from a builder perspective mm-hmm. and world. Uh, and I have a deep empathy towards founders and builders who are down in the trenches, you know, building the infrastructures that's going to last. So that's the lens that, I, that I'm bringing to the table. And the third is, you know, I want to see the crypto world succeed and I want to see Africa succeed. So I'm operating with a very long term lens in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, the sad realities on the continent today, there are a lot of mercenaries. Sure. Uh, mercenary chains, mercenary protocols. I don't want to name names now. Certainly. But... Um, there's a lot of bad behavior that is underselling the value of crypto and underselling the value of where Africans want to go. Um, So I'm positioning myself to do the opposite of that, hopefully, um, and help us build a thriving community, a thriving continent, um, and help global communities also understand Mm -hmm. and be part of Africa's journey. You know, we saw China's growth in a tremendous way, we're seeing India's growth and development and technology has been a big part of that. Now is the phase of Africa. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I don't think the world understands what's happening there. Mm-hmm. I don't think the crypto world understands the potential. And I want to see more of the Ethereum community yep. get plugged in and connect because I, I believe the Ethereum values are deeply aligned with where many young Africans want to go. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to help build that bridge. Where are you in the uh, setting up this fund? Where where are you in the life cycle of this fund? And what are you you're currently raising? And yes. if people are interested, where can they go to find out more? Uh, uh, they could reach out to me, Yosef at Hey dot com, or we'll, we'll get those links in the show notes. Sure, sure. Or reach reach out to me on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Happy to chat uh, on that front. Uh, building it, and there's a lot of projects that I'm ready to back mm-hmm. right now. So I'm really keen to get going as soon as possible. Um, but the main thing I'd say is, you know, um, there are a lot of people who are kind of raising funds and cutting corners and all of that. To me, it's, uh, it's about relationships mm-hmm. um, and it's a long-term journey. So sure. um, if people want to invest, it's less, there's, there's a money part of it, but there's also like, hey, mm-hmm. let's actually build a direct relationship with mm-hmm. African builders. And this is one of the gateways for them to do so. Well, Yosef, the, the thesis makes sense to me. And I think that if in the world where we fast forward into the future and crypto hadn't completely uh, integrated into Africa and yeah. really helped out at a very deep level, then we've deeply failed as yes. an industry. Uh, we should look at Africa as like the first main validation of what we can do for the rest of the world because it seems like Africa's running uh, for it first. And so uh, I wish you the best of luck on your, on your venture arm and I'm happy to help in any way I can. Thanks so much. Crypto needs Africa, mm-hmm. so let's make it happen. Oh yeah, what, what, what? T- give us the bull case for our bags. Give us the for us Westerners who are gonna st- stick around in, in front of our TVs and our computers, and we're just gonna like, oh, I hope Africa uses the the crypto. What what is the bull case for crypto, if Africa uh, adopts it in the best ways that it can? Yeah. Why is it good for, for the our last bags? ten years? We've been talking about mass adoption. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about real world use cases. <laughs> uh, beyond just the mm-hmm. you know, intellectual circles that we navigate in. Right. Well, the masses in mass adoption are in Africa, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So we've got to pay more attention there. Mm-hmm. If you want to u- have this technology to be used in daily life, whether it's a bull market or a bear market, mm-hmm. and people derive real value from, and if you're deriving real value, you pay fees, right? And mm-hmm. there's a real economic model to sustain it. I believe that's where uh, Africa contributes to the crypto narrative and, and cycle. So I think for this industry to succeed and to actually survive the test of time, right. 
we need that. Right. We, we need the real self. Right. And, and the real side of the conversation, to me, Africa is a big part of it. It's not the only part, uh, but it's a huge part of that narrative. Yosef, thank you so much. Thanks so much, David. Cheers. Are you a MetaMask user? Well, you're listening to Bankless, so of course you are. The wallet you know and love just got a whole lot better. MetaMask Portfolio is the ultimate one-stop shop for all of your crypto needs. It gives you a holistic view of your crypto portfolio across multiple chains and multiple addresses all at once. You can easily view and manage all your coins, tokens, and NFTs in one convenient place just by connecting your wallet. MetaMask Portfolio goes beyond just viewing your portfolio, though. Inside the portfolio, you can do all the incredible money verbs that make DeFi so powerful. You can buy, swap, bridge, and stake your crypto assets with ease. It's like having a powerful battle station for all your DeFi moves right at your fingertips. So if you're looking to do more in Web3 your way, MetaMask Portfolio is the answer. I already know that you have MetaMask Wallet, so go check out your MetaMask Portfolio. Learn more at metamask.io slash portfolio. Introducing Polygon 2.0, the value layer for the internet. For too long, the limitations of blockchains have held back app development and stifled user adoption. The internet allows anyone to create and exchange information. What's missing is a value layer that lets anyone exchange, store, and program value. That's where Polygon 2.0 comes in. Polygon Labs has unveiled a series of innovations that will radically alter the Polygon ecosystem and Web3 as a whole. By leveraging groundbreaking ZK innovations, such as Polygon ZK EVM, the next iteration of the best class Plonky 2 proving system and a first-of-its-kind ZK-powered interoperability layer, Polygon 2.0 will give users and devs unlimited scalability and unified liquidity. Right now, there is a Polygon improvement proposal regarding a potential ZK-powered upgrade of Polygon Proof-of-Stake. If approved, Polygon Proof-of-Stake would become a Layer 2 ZK-EVM Validium. So make your voice heard on this proposal by joining the Polygon Discord today. You have a chance to help the Polygon community give the internet the value layer it deserves. Arbitrum is accelerating the Web3 landscape with a suite of secure Ethereum scaling solutions. Hundreds of projects have already deployed onto Arbitrum 1 with a flourishing DeFi and NFT ecosystem. Arbitrum Nova is quickly becoming a Web3 gaming hub and social dApps like Reddit are also calling Arbitrum home. And now Arbitrum Orbit allows you to use Arbitrum's secure scaling technology to build your own layer 3, giving you access to interoperable, customizable permissions with dedicated throughput. All of these technologies leverage the security and decentralization of Ethereum and provide a builder experience that's intuitive, familiar, and fully EVM compatible. Faster transaction speeds and significantly lower gas fees. Arbitrum empowers you to explore and build without compromise. Visit Arbitrum.io where you can join the community, dive into the developer docs, bridge your assets, and start building your first app on Arbitrum. Bankless Nation, we are here in Zuzalu, and I'm with Eche Imole. Yes. Eche, yes. welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, so Zuzalu means many, many things for many different people. Mm -hmm. uh, what does it mean for you? I think the one word that encapsulates Zuzalu for me and even for the Afropolitan community is access, mm. right? Being able to have a seat at a table when, especially when you get to be around some of the brightest minds in the world, where a lot of these frontier knowledges are being pushed, you have access to that seat. Mm. And for so long, I would say a lot of Africans have been last to the party mm. when the cake has been shared. And when we come, we're like, oh, we don't even get crumbs. What's going on, right? So for me, Zuzalu represents access, yeah. right? And access at the front seat of the table. Okay, so uh, you mentioned Afropolitan, which mm -hmm. is the thing yeah. that you want to bridge yes. towards here, here at Zuzalu. But yes. specifically for your movement, uh, access, access is, is important, but why, what here, what's here in Zuzalu for that movement? So first, I think we were able to also come here with at least 20 plus of our citizens, mm -hmm. right? Coming out to Montenegro, I mean, you're around, again, some of the brightest minds, right? Mm -hmm. So you have founders within our network, creators within our network, professionals within our network. They're able to come here, collaborate, connect. Even I think a few of them got some investment opportunities as well. Mm -hmm. Again, it's like access not just to even the people, but just again to the capital that's probably available okay. or to the information that's available, which is huge because for a long time, the way the world has been set up, there's information arbitrage, which is you, you know and we don't know. And because you know, we, we don't get to be, at, again, at the seat of the table. So, again, that's what this represents for us. Sure. Yeah. Okay, so let's dive headfirst into the movement. Yeah. Uh, what is the Afropolitan movement? So, I would say 
Is movement movement the right word? You know, definitely the right word. And yeah. I think I, I probably want to just give context sure. real quick. So I think the yeah. best way to understand the Afropolitan journey is to think about it in three phases, right? Phase one of Afropolitan is an organization I started while in law school mm -hmm. in San Francisco, catering to the African diaspora through events. So yeah. think your favorite Afrobeats parties, concerts, festivals. Cultural events. Cultural events, yeah. yeah. A, significant, a significant highlight of that phase one was something called the Year of Return mm -hmm. that happened in Ghana in 2019, where we basically helped facilitate about a million plus people from the diaspora heading mm -hmm. to Ghana. Mm -hmm. It generated about $2 billion worth of economic activity for Ghana, right? That's phase one. Phase two then starts in 2020, mm -hmm. where we wanted to reload the year of return again, and then COVID happens, mm -hmm. right? COVID decimates the entire in real life events industry, and we were forced to pivot, and we pivoted into media, but through a social audio app called Clubhouse. Right. So in yes. Clubhouse, between I and my co-founder, Chica, we built communities on there of about 200,000 people collectively, hmm. right? And we showed the capacity for collective action, which made us very ready when the next year, 2021, Balaji Srinivasan, mm -hmm. right, he drops this article called How to Start a New Country. Mm -hmm. And in the article, this was April 2021, and we were in Dakar, Senegal, actually, yeah. when uh -huh. we read this. Uh -huh. And he proposes this idea of a network state, which is a highly aligned online community mm -hmm. with a capacity for collective action that's able to crowdfund territory around the world and eventually gain diplomatic recognition in pre-existing states. Now, when I read it, it was like, man, this is like a powerful idea, but it was more theoretical, but I could see the shapes of it. Um, but there was a particular quote in that article that I think really held us to the, um, the idea where he says, because the brand new is unthinkable, we fight over the old. Mm. And I think for us, it was like, damn, it, it feels like that encapsulates. Ooh. That's a good one. It, feel, it felt like that encapsulated what we felt as Africans. Like, uh -huh. we consistently fight over the old, whether it's historical yeah. constraints or colonial baggage. Uh -huh. We're not able to transcend into the future, right? right? And so... For the rest of the year, this is where Bankless comes in. Yeah. We red pill our way into Web3, right? A lot of Bankless podcasts, a lot of like articles. You just consistently, like every weekend, you've been through those rabbit holes where you're just mm -hmm. consistently Web3 driven. And come December 21, 2021, I wake up in Nairobi, Kenya at 5 a.m. I'm pacing the room for about an hour. Um, my partner's like, hey, what's going on? I'm like, look, I know how I would look at someone who's about to tell you what I'm about to tell you, but I think we need to start a new country. And she's like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, but we need to find out why because you're, you're towing the line between being a conspiracy theorist and like just being cuckoo bird, right? Yeah, right, right. And we drew some inspiration from the American founding fathers, from uh -huh. the Federalist One, where Anthony Hamilton basically says, is it possible for societies of men mm -hmm. to form a new constitution? Mm -hmm. through reflection and choice mm -hmm. or are we forever destined to depend on our governance through accident and force right. Right. and we were like damn that's our why right. no modern day nation state in africa was created through reflection mm. and choice mm. it has always been through accident and force ah. and so what would it look like if we could form a new country but this time with people who have shared values and purpose in a borderless manner right mm -hmm. the internet enables us to organize around shared values if facebook for example was a country with its own cryptocurrency it would be the largest country in the world mm -hmm. but this time instead of an online passive community which is what facebook is as a social network mm -hmm. it's now a, a community aligned around shared values and purpose with its own currency and then you can bring you can you can you can get recognition from pre-existing states based on that and so our why is pretty strong right. right and it cuts across like i said we're trying to do away with a lot of the historical constraints and the colonial baggage and that whole idea of because the brand new is unthinkable we fight over the old it that's why our ideology is one of abundance because right. we're seeing scarcity wreck a lot of right. stuff across Africa or just even just being African in the world. Uh -huh. And we want to build upon an, an ideology of abundance, abundance of tools, abundance of even in mindset, abundance of resources. And, that, and that's the way we see it. So I've talked with a few other network state people mm -hmm. and like the broad pitch is, man, we haven't had a new city or a new country mm -hmm. in over hundred, hundreds of years. Yeah. And so we're built on old foundations, like, mm -hmm. like you said. And mm -hmm. so like, it's just like the incumbents of the world. Mm -hmm. I do really enjoy the idea of thinking about <clears throat> countries and governments as like incumbents that could be yeah. disrupted, which yeah. most people don't think about. Yeah. But for many people, like people in the United States, people, I'm assuming also Europe are like, that's a great thought experiment. Yeah. Like, interesting article, yeah. some good brain candy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like practically yeah. I'm mm -hmm. comfy with where I am. Mm -hmm. uh, 
But also, I think with w what you're teasing here is that like Africa particularly is primed for this. Yeah. As in, it, it can be not a thought experiment. Yes. It can be a manifesto. Yes. Uh, so can you give the, the pitch to people who are uninformed about Africa, mm -hmm. why Africa is so primed for a network state movement? Yeah. So I would say, and I could give this in an analogy, and I could give this in a fact. So picture a house mm -hmm. that has a weak foundation, mm -hmm. right? You go into this house and you say, hey, we want to fix the weak foundation. And, but instead of starting with the foundation, you start painting the walls. Sure. You start fixing the AC. Right. You start fixing the fans. Mm -hmm. And then you're like, oh, pop up the window. And then you're like, the house is stable, but it still collapses, right? Yeah. Because the foundation is weak. The weak foundation in that analogy is our governance systems across Africa, mm -hmm. right? The AC is maybe like our fintech industry. Mm -hmm. The fans are like maybe our health tech industry or whatever industry exists. What happens is we have this idea that we can entrepreneur our way out of these problems and it doesn't work because eventually the weak foundation collapses these different sectors that are trying to thrive right mm -hmm. so for us we're saying why don't we go foundational mm -hmm. fix the actual foundation because when you compare africa to the rest of the world there's a sense of is this a feature or is this a bug right mm -hmm. and so our argument is it's a feature and we'll explain why when it's a when it's a bug what it looks like is singapore vietnam dubai these are countries that for the most part, maybe got their independence after a lot of African countries. So I'll give you an example. Vietnam War ended in 1975. Nigeria got its independence in 1960. That's a full 15 years head start. Mm -hmm. Look at Vietnam today, look at Nigeria today, mm -hmm. right? Singapore, right? The Singaporean leader would literally come to, um, Lee Kuan Yew would literally come to Africa to visit because Singapore hadn't necessarily achieved its independence yet. Look at Singapore today. Look at like a, a whole host of African countries. Nine out of the 10 countries with the highest poverty rates are from Africa, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so for us, what we're saying, why we're saying it's a feature, not a bug, it's because the feature was we never actually started it through reflection and choice, mm -hmm. right? Vietnam's, the Vietnamese fought for what right. they believed in, right? The Singaporeans also put out their own constitution and fought right. as well for what they believed in. Where did, we, we had a fight for independence, but it was never based on any philosophical independence, mm -hmm. right? What was the reflection and what was the choice? Keep in mind also, because of the borders that were drawn haphazardly in the Berlin Conference, right? right. A lot of tribes just got tossed in and the borders just mm -hmm. got re rewritten where when you visit Africa today, you can cross a border and they speak the same language, right. but there's just a line in right. front of them that was drawn by someone else again who was not privy or maybe didn't even care about the realities on the ground, which brings us back to the whole Zalu point, right. right? The original seat at the table was the Berlin Conference, mm -hmm. right? Where things are being divided and a whole continent is being shared. I bet you there was no African in there being like, mm. right, right, right. <laughs> and just to dive into the yeah, history, because yeah. like the Berlin Conference, yeah. 1880, Eight, yeah, I 1890, think. Yeah, 18 something. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of Europeans yes. come down and draw the map of Africa yes. from Berlin. Yes, <laughs> and, the, and this is no Google Maps, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and no so they're, 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 they're drawing lines, yes. which are completely incongruent with the actual yeah. cultural tr uh, cultural divisions yes. that are in the space, which yes. was where more organically emergent boundaries exactly. would be formed exactly and so this is and this has been the way that, it, that this is and it's not like till today it's not like the tribes of africa then settled into those no, boundaries till post today. Till and today. so there's still tribal differences yeah and so you're saying that that discrepancy between where the european lines are of mm -hmm. africa versus mm -hmm. the actual cultural topology of africa yeah. because there's discrepancy there because there's friction there that makes africa primed for a new map yes. or a new country yes because the network states allow us to we draw those colonial borders, but this mm -hmm. time digitally first and then land mm -hmm. second, mm -hmm. right? So because now you're forming a new society or a new nation, but this time it's around shared values and purpose. Mm -hmm. And so it's no longer about like the historical constraints or the colonial baggage or saying, hey, we don't speak the same language or we don't have the same religion or we, all the things that divide us that are the old, we're trying to disembark from those to do the brand new. Mm -hmm. And so for that, that requires us basically recruiting like the sort of folks who would have come on the ship heading on a Mayflower, basically. Mm -hmm. So right. it's like, because that's a different set of mindset. So right now we've set up with 500 citizens or 500 passports. You're looking to recruit the folks who, I don't know if you're into a lot of Viking shows, like uh, Ragnar Lodbrok and uh, all that vaguely, stuff. Yeah. Okay, uh -huh. but the whole idea is like, you had people who were like, we're tired with our status quo. Mm. We're going to go on the ship. We, it's the unknown. We don't know. But it is better than our status quo. We know that for a fact. Mm. Whatever is out there has to be better than mm. our status quo. And so for us, it involves us reaching out globally to recruit the sort of people who would have boarded the Mayflower, which only started with 100 and something people, by the right, way. Right. right. And now, obviously, the U.S. is like a 300 million people, right. country, trillions of dollars of GDP. But 
it's the same mindset of we want the new world, we want a new order, and the reason is because our status quo actually sucks. Like this isn't even like it's it's terrible across every industry. I just give gave you a, a stat of nine out of the top. 10 countries in the world with the highest poverty rates are from Africa. Mm-hmm. Let's not talk about what devaluation has done to our currencies. Proper shit. Mm-hmm. So when crypto came, right, it was like, okay, now you have crypto and now you have the ability to maybe form with the internet to organize around shared values. Why don't we try for that? Mm-hmm. Right? And that allows us to potentially hopefully transcend our current status quo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, one th- concerning theme of like the network state movement mm-hmm. is that you have a bunch of just like centralized founders trying mm-hmm. to make a city yeah right and the what gives me optimistic about this movement mm-hmm. is that the, the case for why afropolitan why mm-hmm. why africa is the right place to actually apply these principles first yeah. is the latent demand in the people in the yeah. popular in the community yeah. in the culture the yeah. culture is ready to accept a movement yeah um or at least that's my that's m- my attitude, and I yeah. think what you're saying. Could you just go into like why the culture uh, is ready to accept a network state movement? Like, wh- why is this not going to be a top down yeah. implementation from from some leaders? I think it's the it's the same reason why when you look at a lot of stats about crypto, you mm. see a lot of African markets pop up, mm. right? When you think through the principles of like blockchain and Web three, it's maybe transparency, accountability, immutability, no single point of failure, right? What continent has experienced the the opposite of that sure that's africa till today single points of failure across all our governments right across our cbns or central banks our currencies are shit like when i'm 